Hello, this is Andrea Walton, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the Friday, May 19th, and Saturday, May 20th issues of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Friday's paper, first page, speaks of the counties in the states of emergency. Declarations, three take action amid concerns about migrants. By Thursday afternoon, three of four Glow counties each declared a state of emergency due to concerns about a potential influx of migrants from the southern states. Wyoming County joined Genesee and Orleans counties when Board of Supervisors Chairwoman Rebecca Ryan made an emergency declaration. In an effort to prevent a public safety emergency from asylum seekers seeking refuge in Wyoming County. As New York City experienced an increase in asylum seekers since the expiration of Title 42, its mayor expressed plans to bus migrants arriving in the city to counties outside of the city, Ryan said in a press release. This places a tremendous burden on rural counties which lack the necessary housing infrastructure needed for these migrants. Western New York is now beginning to see these impacts that have been experienced downstate over the past week, the chairwoman said. Wyoming County has strived to be a welcoming community and recognizes the contributions of lawful migrants to the county's development, cultural, and economic growth. However, given the lack of housing facilities within the county, the unrestricted, unlawful migration poses a grave risk to the social, health, and emergency services resources of the county, she said. Should New York City or other large urban centers transport large numbers of migrants to Wyoming County, the arrival of these asylum seekers will create a social, health, and emergency services crisis, causing an increase in homelessness and will threaten the health and public safety of county residents and those relocated migrants. In an effort to alleviate potential impacts, the state of emergency and subsequent local emergency orders will restrict entities who may make contracts with people, businesses, or entities doing business in Wyoming County to transport migrants or asylum seekers to locations in the county or to house people at locations in the county for any length of time without Ryan's written consent, she said. Also, no hotel, motel, or owner of a multiple dwelling in Wyoming County may contract with or do business with any municipality other than the county to provide housing or accommodations for migrants or asylum seekers without the county's written approval. Genesee and Orleans counties made their declarations on Wednesday. The situation is a threat to public safety, Orleans County said in its state of emergency declaration declared at 1.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Genesee County Manager L. Matthew Landers declared the state of emergency for that county at noon. Landers said the Genesee County declaration will last five days, at which point he could reissue the declaration. In Genesee County, we are stretched. We're stretched to the max when it comes to our own homelessness, Landers said. This was kind of a preemptive. We want to explore. We want to have a discussion with all of our partners in the area to really understand what our capacity is. But we don't believe we have the ability to take migrants at this point. Lander said the county is currently in a situation where it has a hard time housing any homelessness in the county. We rely on Buffalo and Rochester for support when we run out of room. We are in no condition to be able to accept an influx, he said. By declaring a state of emergency, it's giving us a cooling down period. It will be reevaluated after five days to determine if we want to continue that going on into the future. But out of an abundance of cautious, I decided to declare the state of emergency and work with local leaders through DSS, Department of Social Services. 
the sheriff's office through emergency management, and then also understand better what our capacity in this county is. Lander said his understanding with talking with local officials is that the county doesn't have the ability to take migrants. If I hear different information, then we'll react accordingly, he told the media. Lander said he consulted with a lot of people. I do not, do not make decisions in a vacuum because I am not the smartest person in the room. Whether it's the sheriff or the DSS commissioner or my legislature, I'm in constant communication. Whether it's tourism, whether it's other human services related entities. Landers said making the de declaration is within his authority as county manager, similar to the state of emergency declared in the county when winter storm Elliott struck in late December. We'll be evaluating this significantly over the next five days to see if we need to extend it or if there's other factors that come to light that warrants us letting it expire, he said. The county manager said legislators don't need to approve the declaration, but they definitely had input. I worked for the nine legislators, and I want to make sure they were in agreement with the recommendation and the ultimate declaration, Lander said. In Orleans County, Legislature Chairwoman Lynn Johnson wrote that the declaration will be in effect for 30 days or until rescinded by a subsequent order. The state of emergency has been declared due to the county of Orleans experiencing a housing crisis due to an increase of 178% in placement of homeless persons since July of 2022, exceeding our limited number of temporary and permanent emergency housing facilities, she wrote. Orleans County does not have the capability to receive or sustain any number of migrants and or asylum seekers. In a press release sent out this evening, Genesee County said, Genesee County is not equipped for a rapid increase of persons in need of services, and if the City of New York or other municipalities were to flood the county with migrants and asylum seekers, the situation would only worsen. Lander said he is in communication with Governor Kathy Hochul's office. I'm aware that this gives us a little bit of a blanket, protects us just in case there is an influx from a different source that we weren't thinking of or aware of, he said of the declaration. Lander said he has no direct evidence of any influx of migrants into the county, but added that he doesn't want to declare a state of emergency after it's too late. Specifically, Lander said the declaration means no hotel, motel, or owner of a multiple dwelling in the county is permitted to contract or otherwise engage in business with any other municipality other than the county of Genesee for the purpose of providing housing or accommodations for migrants or asylum seekers without a license granted by the county. The declaration does not apply to farmers, Lander said. This is so that New York City can't contract with one of our hotels and all of a sudden we have a busload here for the next six months or longer, he said. That's not in the best interest of our long-term goals of our community. There's a lot of what-ifs and a lot of unknowns. Livingston County Administrator Ian Coyle said Thursday that the county has not made any decisions on a state of emergency. At this time, no, we are not considering any action of that type. We are monitoring the situation at SUNY Geneseo he said on Thursday. Wyoming County honored a few of its deputies. Two Wyoming County Sheriff's deputies have been honored for their DWI enforcement efforts. Sergeant Aaron Chase and Deputy Justin Bliss were recognized earlier this month during the annual New York State Law Enforcement Recognition Awards luncheon in Albany. Chase received the Drug Recognition Expert Award. It's given to active drug recognition experts for outstanding performance in doing drug influence evaluations. Chase has been a drug recognition expert since 2015 and has conducted 296 drug influence evaluations since he was certified. 
He has actively promoted the enforcement of drug and alcohol-impaired driving to police officers throughout Wyoming County. He has played a vital role in the training of new deputy sheriffs in the enforcement of drug and alcohol-impaired driving, sheriff's officials said in a news release. Bliss was awarded the Recognition of Excellence Top Individual Award. He has been certified as a drug recognition expert since 2021. Bliss led the Wyoming County Sheriff's Office in DWI arrests in 2022. He has also completed 54 drug influence evaluations since his DRE certification. The Wyoming County Sheriff's Office commends both members for their dedication to public safety and highway safety and for their dedicated service to the people of Wyoming County, the news release reads. An outreach event will supply some care items. In Leroy, a Mother Teresa outreach will take place on June 3rd. The drive-through event provides non-food essential items to people in need, organizers said in a news release. It will take place from noon to 2 p.m. at Our Lady of Mercy Parish Center at 44 Lake Street. Items will include diapers and wipes, toothbrushes and toothpaste, shampoo and deodorant, sanitary products, soaps and toilet paper, dish soap and laundry detergent, paper towels, napkins, hairbrushes, combs, hair ties, razors and shaving cream, adult diapers, and more. A trio of folks makes the Alumni Hall of Fame. Pavilion grads forged a path of success at school and beyond. Three new members have been announced for the Pavilion Central School Alumni Hall of Fame. The Alumni Hall of Fame recognizes outstanding district alumni who have achieved distinction in their lives and chosen fields after high school through significant contributions to their career, community, or through personal achievements. The inductees will be honored June 2nd during a school assembly. Family and friends are welcome to attend ceremony, which takes place at 9.40 a.m. Nominations for the 2024 Alumni Hall of Fame class can be submitted at www.pcshalloffame.com. Those inducted included Dr. William Anderson. Anderson graduated in the class of 1972. He participated in many activities, including junior and senior band, junior honor society, dance band, marching band, solo music festival, model congress, senior play, track and field, and basketball. In 1972, his ability on the basketball court earned him a position on the all-county first-string basketball team. Anderson initially attended Genesee Community College, followed by SUNY Geneseo and the Medical University of South Carolina. His studies and research revolved around the function of smooth muscle, utilizing a silicone force transducer initially developed for the space shuttle program. He earned a doctorate of medicine in December of 1983. Anderson initially entered private practice in Orlando, Florida. After two years in Florida, he learned of a new hospital being built in Somerville, South Carolina. He and his wife decided to move back to Charleston, where he built his office across the street from the new hospital. Anderson served on many hospital committees and was a founding physician of the Charleston Independent Practice Association serving on their board of directors. He also served as medical director of the Charleston Surgery Center. He has been supportive of numerous youth programs, including baseball and basketball. He was a Boy Scout assistant leader, helping several of his scouts reach the rank of Eagle. Anderson is also a ham radio operator, which has come in handy for emergency communications during hurricanes in Charleston and became semi-retired in December of 2020. Roxanne Milligan Dupengeiser graduated in the class of 1984. 
Dupengeiser was the class salutatorian. She had the privilege of serving as class president for three years and student council president for two years. She was a member of the Ski Club, AFS, Press Club, and activities editor of Tower, along with being a member of Junior, High, Junior Honor Society and National Honor Society president. She loves sports, participating in soccer, volleyball, basketball, and softball. She received all tournament team honors in softball and basketball, was a GR League All-Star in volleyball. She was also a recipient of a National Scholar Athlete Award, the Danforth I Dare You Award, and the Dare Good Citizenship Award. Dupengeiser attended Cornell University, where she received her bachelor's degree from the College of Human Ecology in 1988, majoring in consumer economics. At Cornell, Roxanne served as a student advisor and orientation counselor and was an active member and treasurer of the Human Ecology Club. Roxanne was also very involved in her sorority, Delta Delta Delta, serving as its president her senior year. She also loved her time spent both volunteering and working for Cornell's Alumni Association, serving as a reunion clerk, head clerk, and as an alumni affairs assistant. Dupengeiser served as a family and consumer science 4-H youth development educator in Wyoming County for more than 23 years through September of 2019. She helped to provide leadership and guidance to more than 250 volunteers and nearly 1,000 youth involved annually in programs offered through the county's 4-H club program, which the largest program statewide. Her responsibilities included programming in foods and nutrition, clothing and textiles, fine arts and crafts, clover buds, agricultural education, teen programs, and award trips, 4-H public presentations, and the annual 4-H cookie sale fundraiser. While raising their two boys in Perry, Dupengeiser and her husband Peter were active members in the Wyoming County and New York State Farm Bureau and enjoyed serving as volunteer 4-H club leaders and junior Holstein club advisors for many years. Their family continues to enjoy showing dairy cattle at the state, local, national, and international levels. Dupengeiser also served with the Wyoming County Business Education Council, Wyoming County Chamber of Commerce, Wyoming County Tourism Promotion Agency, Wyoming County Youth Board, and the Genesee Community College Advisory Council. <coughs> Pardon me. She served on the Perry Central School Shared Decision-Making Team on the Warsaw Agricultural Youth Supporters Committee, and served as the Children's Activities Chair for many years on the Wyoming County Agripalooza Planning Committee. Roxanne was also a member of the Leadership Wyoming Class of 2011. Since moving to Wisconsin, Roxanne works for LeClaire Family Creamery, a manufacturer of award-winning goat and cow milk cheeses, in addition to operating a retail shop, cafe, and garden center. She has very much enjoyed working as the garden center lead, overseeing the planting, daily care, and sales of their greenhouse inventory. When not working in the greenhouse or retail shop, she also enjoys substitute teaching for several local elementary schools, gardening, traveling, and especially visiting her two grandchildren. Roxanne and Peter celebrated their 31st wedding anniversary in October and have two children, Jacob and Jared. Martin Thomas Griffith was a, class, was a member of the class of 1980. Griffith is a senior executive vice president and chief banking officer for CNB Bank, a role he has held since 2021. He is responsible for co contributing to the strategic planning and direction of a $5.5 billion bank holding company with 50 offices spread through New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Virginia. Griffith lives in Buffalo with his wife, Amy Jo. They have two daughters, Samantha Jo and Taylor Lee. Griffith, more than 30 years of experience in the banking industry, including senior and executive roles with both Tompkins Bank and Cal 
of Cass Styles for five years and then 16 years with Five Star Bank. In 2016, he left his regional presidency of Five Star Bank to launch a new division of CMB Bank. In seven years, Bank on Buffalo has grown to over a billion dollars in total assets with 12 full-service branch offices and a bank on wheels which services low to moderate income areas in and around the cities of Buffalo and Niagara Falls. While in high school, Griffith excelled in the classroom and in sports. He lettered in football, basketball, and baseball and was named to the Genesee Region All-Stars in both football and baseball and recognized as an All-State linebacker in football in his senior year. Marty attended Ithaca College and graduated in 1984 with a bachelor's degree in business administration. While at Ithaca, Marty continued to excel in football as a three-year letterman on the Ithaca College Bombers football team and was recognized as a first-team All-ECAC offensive lineman in 1983. He continued in postgraduate education, graduating from the Graduate School of Banking at the University of Wisconsin in 2006. Griffith attributes much of his success on the values and characteristics driven through his involvement in family business and the discipline and leadership instilled in him through involvement in sports from a very young age. As an adult, he has been very active in his communities, serving on many local and regional boards, and now takes pride in giving back to the communities that instilled such a strong foundation for his growth. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Continuing with sports in Friday's paper, Sticks and Stones. Already in the Section 5 Football Hall of Fame, legendary Letchworth coach Tim McMullen is to enter the Section 5 Basketball Hall. Tim Sticks McMullen was a fixture at Letchworth High School for quite some time, patrolling the hallways and sidelines in Gainesville as a head coach, physical education teacher, and then athletic director for over three decades. And even though he's been retired for 10 years, the accolades are still rolling in. Already in the Section 5 Football Hall of Fame, McMullen is set to head into the Section 5 Basketball Hall of Fame later this year. I wrote it off. I didn't even think about it, McMullen said. Championship-wise, we didn't do a lot of stuff. A lot of times it's sort of predicated on that. But the committee got together and young Eddie Stores called me a month or two ago and gave me the news. I was ecstatic. There are so many people that sweat and bled with me for a lot of the years at Letchworth and even around the county. The LCAA had a lot of great mentors that became great friends that I mirrored, and they mentored me in a lot of ways. It was a surprise, and it's a really, really an honor. McMullen was the head coach of the varsity boys basketball team at Letchworth for 31 years and is up there in terms of the top winningest coach in Section 5 history, posting 334 career victories. McMullen was a four-time Section 5 Coach of the Year, winning in 1994, 98, 99, and 2006, and he led Letchworth to the Section 5 Class CCC title in 1989. I'm sorry. However, it wasn't the wins or anything of the like that McMullen will take from his time on the sidelines, both as a basketball coach and a football coach. We, don't, we didn't raise a lot of trophies, but you don't need to raise a trophy to be a champion, McMullen said. Every day in the pits, that was special. We loved going to practice every day. We loved getting up early to get in the weight room or stay late to get a few extra shots up. Obviously, we won a sectional title in 99, and that was a special group of athletes that came together and bonded well and a special group of parents. Not a whole lot of championships, so to speak, but we had a lot of champion people that were involved every day. 
Despite the lack of titles, McMullen does find himself among the best of the best that the Livingston County Athletic Association has had to offer on the basketball court. McMullen is one of only five LCAA boys basketball coaches to reach the 300 victory mark for his career, holding the honor with Tom Downey of Livonia, Dave Gillette of Perry, Tom Flood of Honeye Falls, Lima, and most recently, Dad Duncans of Caledonia Mumford. Meanwhile, he also got to coach against and learn from the legendary Tom LaDelfa of Warsaw. Quite the company to keep in terms of basketball coaches in the Glow region, and McMullen remembers it all as though it was yesterday. You remember things as a coach, the games, and you still have great relationships. With the coaches that were there with me, that are still my best friends at Letchworth and around the league, he said. And my players, a lot of them are doing well in life and in their work. And as a pastor, I'm helping them out in their weddings, baptisms, and things. You never really separate from it. It's always a part of your demeanor and your being. Since retiring from coaching, including stints coaching alongside his son, Corky, as well as years on the sidelines at the Rochester Institute of Technology as an assistant, McMullen has since devoted his life to his religion, even officiating former players' weddings and conducting baptisms a few more of which he has coming up in the next few months. And that is where he says the memories remain from his time at Letchworth. Seeing former co-coaches and players to this day and seeing the positive impact that he was able to have on them, not just in athletics, but in life. That's really what it's about, just growing together, McMullen said. Sometimes it's banging your head against a wall, but most of the time it's such a special feeling in the pits with everyone. Those daily practices, those long weeks and weekends, the off-season, the weight room, you always go back to that. That's where we grow. Despite being away from the game for several years, McMullen doesn't hesitate to express his belief that his style of coaching would still be adaptable today. When you played Letchworth, you knew what you were getting into, a rough-and-tumble game that would take a full 32 minutes to win. I think I would adapt, honestly. The kids really don't change, McMullen said. Some people believe that the kids have changed, but I really don't believe so. Human nature has been intact for thousands and thousands of years, and that's the same. And yeah, you have to adapt, maybe your coaching style a little bit, maybe. A lot of people have told me it's more difficult in a lot of ways, but that is the challenge, to unify a group of young men or women through athletics and through academics. It's challenging, but it can be done. And when you put good people around you that care for the kids, great things are going to happen no matter what. Along with his success as a head coach on the hardwood, McMullen has also head football coach at Letchworth for 12 years, leading the Indians to three Section 5 titles in 2009, 10, and 11, and the New York State Public High School Athletic Association Class D title in 2011, the same year he, yearned, he earned New York State Coach of the Year honors. Letchworth's 2011 state championship football team is considered to be one of the best to ever come out of the Livingston Conference. McMullen was inducted into the Section 5 Football Hall of Fame in 2014, and he says that he could never have done it alone. There's 11 communities there that all had to come together, and the school does that for all those communities, he said of Letchworth. They all have their own identity. They all have their own prides, and to unify that through the Central School District takes a lot of people in a lot of workplaces. Everybody from the custodians to the teachers to the coaching staff to the administration, of course, it's pretty special. A native of Leroy, McMullen graduated with a bachelor's degree in physical education from Ithaca College in 1979 and went on to earn a master's degree in education from SUNY Geneseo. And regardless of the accolades, McMullen hopes he left just one thing at Letchworth. I hope there's a unity there that we improved on, he said. 
every business person, teacher, principal, administrator, coach wants to leave what they were part of better than when they walked in the door. So we always prided ourselves on we're going to make it better. We're going to get better every day. We're going to get 1% better every day. We're going to do that every day. If we had done that in any respect, then that's a good feeling for us as a staff. A hundred Western New York students attend the PGA Works. As the 105th PGA Championship ramps up at Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, 100 Western New York Region students attended PGA Works Beyond the Green to learn about a career in the $102 billion golf industry. On Tuesday, youth from the first tee of Western New York, East High School, Nativity Preparatory Academy, and other local groups listened and participated in three panels from local leaders and golf industry experts about career opportunities available to them. A career exploration event, Beyond the Green, is held at various championships run by the PGA of America, inviting local students from historically underrepresented backgrounds to discover opportunities in the golf industry, along with the chance to hear from local business leaders. Whatever you want in the career, there's a good chance that it is available within the golf industry, said PGA of America CEO Seth Wogue in his message to the students. If you can see it, you can be it. Golf needs your ideas and your perspectives. We want your voice to be heard because there is, without a doubt, a place for each of you within golf, said PGA of America Chief Commercial Officer Jeff Price. We strongly believe that you can make a positive impact on the future of the game. A fan favorite surprise guest panelist was Buffalo Bills quarterback and Oak Hill member Josh Allen, along with teammates Tyler Bass, Matt Barkley, Kier Elam, and Kyle Allen. Since I was a little kid, it's the only thing I've wanted to be, Allen said when, he, when a student asked if he'd always wanted to be a quarterback. The panels provided thought-provoking insights about building connections, taking challenges, and capitalizing on opportunities. Following a welcome from Price, the Stand Up and Stand Out panel focused on building purposeful relationships. The Get On Par panel illustrated the vastness of the golf industry, and the From Whisper to Roar panel educated students on finding their unique voices. I'm a true testament to the Beyond the Green story, said PGA Reach Senior Director of Impact, Penny Sims, PGA. Here I am, 40 years into career in the golf industry, because I was introduced to this sport very early on. Malachi Finley, age 15, a member of the Boys and Girls Club of Rochester and a caddy at Oak Hill, appreciated the diversity among the panelists throughout the event. Specifically, I liked how Beyond the Green was mostly led by other African-American people, said Finley. It's changing the narrative. Pavilion gets a no-hitter from 40 in the finale. It's been an up-and-down spring for the Pavilion baseball team, but the Golden Gophers capped their regular season in a big way on Wednesday. Joe Forty tossed a five-inning no-hitter while the offense racked up hits from all 11 players in the 17-1 win over host Perry. In the mercy rule shortened game, Forty struck out five for the no-no. Case Cummins paced the offensive outburst by going four for four with a pair of runs batted in. Also for the Gophers, Dylan Weidrick was 2-for-2 two two with a double and an RBI, while Colton Zekin was 2-for-4 with a run batted in. We had a great game offensively with all 11 of my guys recording hits, and Joe kept it locked down on the mound, Pavilion head coach Tim Pinder said. 
Perry's lone run came in the bottom of the first when Forty walked the leadoff batter, who then stole second and scored on an error. We didn't allow a base runner after the second batter in the first inning. It's a great momentum builder going into sectionals. Pavilion moved to 7-11 on the season, while Perry fell to 3-15. Letsworth defeated Warsaw 6-5. Letsworth is now 10-7 on the season. Adam Halsey went 2-2 two for two with a triple and two runs batted in. Luke Gricewood had a single and an RBI. Jake Stowell had two hits, a triple, and two RBIs. Warsaw is now 13-3 on the season and did not give a report for the game. York defeated Keshequa 4-2. York is 8-5 on the season, with Maddox Timothy having six innings pitched with two hits and 11 strikeouts. Joe Bauer went 1-for-3 with two RBIs. Jake Pengrazio was 1-for-3 with an RBI. Brandon Levy was 2-for-2, two two, while Cohen Donnelly also participated. Keshequa is 3-14 on the season with no report given. The coaches quote, I couldn't be more proud of these guys. The past few days have been difficult for everyone in the New York community, and I admire the way they have all supported one another. We played a great game on both sides of the ball, and I'm really happy that we were able to get this victory on senior night for our seven seniors. They deserve it, York head coach Ed Green said. Bath Haverlink squeaked it out over Arcport Canisarega in a 6-5 game. Bath Haverling is now 8-9 on the season. Eric Hardy-Hendricks had four innings pitched with five hits, four runs, a double, and a strikeout. Owen Smith had three innings pitched, zero errors, a single, two strikeouts, a ball base on balls, and a run. Evan Pendle had a triple and two RBIs. Ethan Bratz was two for two with a double, two base hits, and a run. Zach Musso had a hit and an RBI. Alex Byler hit an RBI, and Dante Neely had a hit, a double, and a run. Our court Canisarega is now 8-6 on the season with Logan Hoyt and Micah Marvin, Titus Marvin, all hit RBIs and run apiece. Micah Marvin had five and two-thirds innings pitched with four hits, two errors, seven ball, ba balls on base, and three strikeouts. Kendall defeated Alexander 8-4. Kendall was 11-4 on the season with Zach Barrett. Had 6-2 innings pitched, 5 hits, 1 ball on base, 10 strikeouts, and 2 runs. Colby Hughes was 1-2. for two. He had a single, a double, and 2 runs, and Jimmy Swift had a run. Alexander is 7-8 on the season with no report given. Notre Dame defeated Byron Birdson 6-1. Notre Dame is now 17-0 on the season. Jaden Sherwood had six inning pitch with three hits, one run, one ball on, one base on balls, nine strikeouts, two hits, a double, and a home run. Jay Antno had two hits, a double, one inning pitched, a hit, and two strikeouts. Chase Antno had two hits, Ryan Fitzpatrick had a double, and Hayden Groff had a hit and three runs batted in. Byron Virgin is 7-7 on the season with no report given. Coaches quote, with this win, we secured the best overall record in the GR at 13-0, and with the last year's undefeated 13-0 league season as well, we now have had back-to-back -back undefeated league seasons and have won 35 consecutive league games. Truly amazing. Today's win also secured us the number one seed for the sectionals in Class two, in Class C2. I could not be prouder of the boys. Their work ethic and practice habits have been outstanding, which ultimately has put them in this great position. As I remind them all the time, there are no accidents in sports. Your success is directly related to how hard you work, 
and how much time and effort you put into it. We now close out the season with a very tough Akron squad that will present a great challenge for us and a great prep for the sectionals, which starts Saturday for us. Webster Thomas defeated Batavia 4-3. Batavia is 9-11 on the season. Trevor Cole pitched four and two-thirds innings. He had five hits, three runs, and four strikeouts. Cole Grazio playing was two for three with a triple and two runs. Dane Dombrowski was one for three with a run batted in. And Mackay Fortes had two runs batted in. Webster Thomas is 13-6 on the season with no report given. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Turning to Saturday's paper, we start out with cookies and pierogies, which sounds like a really good thing to me. Church efforts aid the Ukraine relief and refugee families. There are certain important times when sheer human decency becomes the priority. That's why homemade cookies lined a table Friday at St. James Episcopal Church on East Main Street. It was also why Hilda Bolonovich was making brisk sales of her homemade pierogies nearby. All proceeds from the cookie sale were assisting Ukrainian relief while the pierogies are supporting Blankovich and her family. Everyone is aghast at what's happening in the Ukraine and feels like, I like to make things better, but how do I make things better? And Joanne Bastine, one of the cookie and pierogi sales organizers, so we started last November and said, how about an old-fashioned bake sale? The church members decided specifically to sell homemade cookies, which proved a bigger success than they expected. Volanovich, a refugee from Revne, Ukraine, with her husband and their three children, later offered her homemade pierogies in a separate sale. The pierogies were the genuine Ukrainian article, proved a smash hit. It sold out in 20 minutes, 60 bags in 20 minutes, Bestine said. The two efforts were combined Friday and again proved highly popular. Visitors entered the church to snatch up the cookies, the frozen pierogies, or both. Rivni's a city in western Ukraine. It's about the size of Buffalo and has been subjected to Russian missile attacks since the 2022 invasion. Bladovich has a master's degree in early childhood education. The pierogies are helping her and her family get by as they become familiar with the U.S. and as she pursues recertification in her regular career and works to learn English. This is her way of supporting her family, Bestine said. She's very independent. She earns her money. She's skilled at making the pierogies, and that's what she's doing. So we combined them this time. She has made 50 dozen for Friday's sale. They had mostly sold out by noon, with people offering both purchases and well wishes. A lot of it's communicated by cell phone text using a translation app. I really liked it, and thank you very much to all the people, she said. They are very wonderful and kind and helped my family a lot. It's a big part of why the church members find the effort important. It's one small but solid thing as the nation and its people fight for freedom and survival. It seemed everyone here was appalled at what was going on in the Ukraine, but did not know how to help, Bestine said. I can't send a tank, so what can I do? So it enabled us to do something. The church keeps a supply of Belanovich's pierogies available. Those interested may visit or contact the church. The sheriff says that he will enforce the emergency declaration. The Genesee County Sheriff's Office and Chamber of Commerce will have roles in the migrant-focused state of emergency. County officials have said the declaration is needed due to the lack of housing facilities in the counties for migrants and asylum seekers. The chamber is notifying and educating the local establishments regarding the state of emergency. 
Our role will be to investigate any alleged violations and issue appearance tickets if violations are found, said Sheriff William Sharon Jr. The penalties are spelled out in the State of Emergency Proclamation. The declaration announced Wednesday by County Manager Matthew Landers was to be in effect for five days. He could extend the declaration or let it expire. The penalties or remedies listed in the declarations are as follows. Appearance tickets. The declaration says the sheriff, the manager, or the manager's designees are authorized to issue appearance tickets for any violation of the emergency order for the penalty prescribed by New York State Executive Law. Civil penalties. Penalties. In addition to penalties allowed by state executive law, anyone who violates the emergency order shall be liable to a civil penalty to be determined by a process set by the director of not more than $2,000 per migrant or asylum seeker housed by the former municipality or other violator for each day or part of a day the violation continues. Abatement. The declaration states, regardless of any of the remedy or relief brought by the county for any violation, the manager is authorized to direct the county attorney to commence actions or proceedings in the name of the county to abate any violation of or to enforce any provision of this emergency order. A migrant is defined as a person who moves from one place to another, especially in order to find work or better living conditions. An asylum seeker is a person who has left his or her home country as a political refugee and is seeking asylum in another. On Thursday, City Manager Rachel Tabowski said Batavia is monitoring the situation. I know there is a push to house some of them upstate, just from what I'm reading. It seems that New York City is overwhelmed, Tabowski said. The City of Batavia wouldn't have the social service resources the county does. We're certainly not in a position to have housing in the city. We have migrants that work on H-2A, Tabowski said. The U.S. Department of Agriculture says H-2A is a temporary agricultural program which allows agricultural employers who anticipate a shortage of domestic workers to bring non-immigrant foreign workers to the U.S. to perform agricultural labor or services of a temporary or seasonal nature. Migrants are different than asylum seekers. A city of our size doesn't have our own health department or Department of Social Services. We lean heavily on the county for those services, she said. Batavia Town Supervisor Gregory Post said Thursday, we are monitoring the situation, but we try to be prepared for any contingency, but we cannot predict anything due to a lack of information. I'm sure I'll get follow-up information in the next couple of days. We stand ready to support any catastrophe, he said, noting this would be true of any issue that could affect the community. A highway was dedicated in Caledonia to the Rapone family. A portion of State Route 36 in Caledonia between Graney Road and State Route 5 was renamed the World War II Rapone Brothers Memorial Highway on May 12th in memory of six brothers who served during World War II. Louis Rapone, the only surviving brother, attended the dedication along with members of his extended family. He is 97 years old and will turn 98 in July. For him and his family, it was a day filled with pride and one that they also acknowledged was a bit emotional. Six of them went together, and Dad is the last living one. I am very proud that they are going to dedicate a street, said daughter Betty Lou Buckley. State Senator Patrick Gallivan, State Senator Pam Helming, and Assembly Member Marjorie Burns came out to honor the family and thank it for its service. The family is well known in Caledonia. That is because the Rapone family and its six sons all served in World War II. Private Patsy Rapone was killed in action in 1944, and posthumously received the Purple Heart. He was the only son that did not return home from the war. 
Seaman First Class Rocky Rapone was injured in the Pacific Theater in 1945. Private Peter Rapone, Private George Rapone, and Seaman Louis Rapone were all injured off the coast of Anzio, Italy. Sergeant Joseph Rapone served during the war. For Helming, it was an emotional ceremony because she also is from a military family. The parents, the Rapones, immigrated to this country from Italy, and it's kind of ironic. And they get here, and then all six of their sons sign up for our country and are shipped back to Europe to serve in World War II. Five returned home, and one was killed in action, and we are forever grateful for the family service and sacrifice, said Helming. In addition to the sign, there is also a banner along the road with a photo of all six of the sons, and one that Burns said she hopes people will pay tribute to each time they drive on the road. Time marches on, and while we have one brother that is still alive, we wanted to make sure that we did this so that not only our community, but that history will remember these brothers, said Burns. They are brothers, family members, friends, and groups that are loved by the Caledonia community, and for some family members, the unveiling of the sign was an experience that almost brought tears to their eyes. I am overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed. It is something that has been a dream of my brothers for years to honor all of my uncles and my dad, said Joanne Kingsbury, Joe Rapone's daughter. A dream, too, for Francis Rapone, son of Louis Rapone. It is excellent and something that we have been waiting for and will be there for many years to come. These guys went over there, did what they had to do, and now they are getting a little payback for it. It is very emotional and emotional for me, said Rapone. It was a day filled with memories and a story that Galvin said he hopes people will remember for many years to come. Our community can never repay the Rapone brothers for the service they provided and the sacrifice they and the family endured in defense of our country, Galvin said. Dedicating this highway in honor of the Rapone brothers recognizes their bravery and commitment to duty and will stand as a reminder to all the contributions of these members of the greatest generation. About the Rapone brothers a capsule look at the six Rapone brothers from Galadonia who served in World War II. Patsy A. Rapone, Jr., October 27, 1922 to December 30, 1944. Patsy enlisted January 14, 1943 as a private in the U.S. Army. He was killed in action at Luxembourg, Germany, and was posthumously awarded the Purple Heart. Joseph Archie Rapone, July 14, 1916 to January 9, 1977. Joseph was the first of his brothers to enlist on February 25, 1942. He was a staff sergeant in the U.S. Army. He married Geraldine Jones on December 3, 1942, and they had four children. He was a member of the Caledonia War Veterans Memorial Incorporated. He made his living as a mechanic. George Anthony Rapone, January 12, 1913 to February 9, 1977. George enlisted on December 8, 1943, and was a private in the U.S. Army. He married Magdalene Tallow on January 9, 1934. They had six children. He made his living as a farmer. He was injured off the coast of Anzio, Italy, which is about 60 miles away from his father, Patsy Rapone Sr.'s birthplace of Mont San Giovanni Campano. Peter Anthony Rapone, December 31, 1923 to April 14, 1984. Peter enlisted on November 12, 1942, as a private in the U.S. Army. He was later injured off the coast of Anzio, Italy, along with his brothers George and Louis. He was married to Anna Virginia Norris from 1947 to 1968. He was married to his second wife, Dorothy Patricia Lamb, until their divorce in 1971. He had five sons and six daughters and made his living as a repairman.
Rocky Rocco Anthony Rapone, September 6, 1920 to November 25, 2004. Rocky enlisted on September 25, 1942, and was a seaman first class in the U.S. Navy. After getting injured in the Pacific Theater in 1945, he was honorably discharged from the military. He married Florence Necamento on November 8, 1943, and they had three children. He owned, worked at racing stables for a living, and is buried at Greenwood Cemetery in Dunn, North Carolina. Louis Antonio Rapone, born July 9, 1925. Louis served in the Navy from 1944 to 1946. He was at the landings at Normandy, Anzio, and Palermo. He was injured at Anzio along with his two older brothers, but spent several months in the hospital after getting injured at Palermo. He married Betty Aquino, and they had four children together. They were all the sons of Teresa and Patsy Rapone Sr., both of whom had immigrated to America, 1911 and 1907, respectively, and only spoke Italian. Teresa was a housewife, and Patsy worked on the railroad. There were 13 children total, and they all lived together at 116 Main Street, Caledonia. All of the deceased members of the Rapone family, including their parents, are buried at St. Columbia Cemetery in Caledonia. The only exceptions are Anna Rapone Middleton, who was buried at Mumford Rural Cemetery, and Rocky Rapone, who was buried in Dunn, North Carolina. You are listening to a reading of articles and, of, and features from the Batavia Daily News on Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Turning to obituaries in Saturday's paper, Veronica Terrell, age 80, of Batavia, James Heverin, age 83, of East Pembroke, Sidney Richard London, age 78, of Albion, Todd Mitchell Fanning Champlin, age 58, of Panama City, Florida, and originally of Medina, New York, Howard Hoban, 85, of, By of Byron. Turning now to sports on Saturday's paper. The Spartans are set to head to Watertown. The Genesee County Spartans Football Club travels north this Saturday for a non-league game against the host Watertown Red and Black. Watertown is a powerhouse in the Gridiron Developmental Football League and an awesome organization. But if we play Spartans football, hard-nosed and disciplined, I feel we can play with any team in the country, said head coach Harry Roscoe. That's a strong statement, considering that Roscoe and his coaching staff have had only a couple of months to recruit players and conduct practices in preparation for their inauguration season in the Northern Football Alliance. Roscoe said that the team's quarterbacks, Joe Canzanari and Alex Rude, will each play two quarters against Watertown as the competition for the starting job continues. This weekend will allow us to get a look at both quarterbacks and see some players at different positions in a real game. We are excited to play finally after weeks of practice, he said. Kanzanari is a 2010 graduate of Batavia High School and a three-year starter at quarterback for the Blue Devils. He attended GCC for two years. Today, he owns his own barbershop on Ellicott Street. I joined the team because I wanted to see if I still have it or not, he said, noting that he held a couple passing records at BHS. Rude graduated from BHS in 2020, went on to play quarterback at Geneva College, and now competes in track and field at Brockport State College. This is a great opportunity to continue playing the semi-pro level, he said. When the squad's regular home season gets underway on June 17th, opponent is to be determined, 
The game will take place at the new synthetic turf football field behind the Richard C. Call Arena at Genesee Community College. GCC Assistant Athletic Director Drew Croft said the college is eager to show off the facility. It was completed last summer, and it's something we're very proud of, he said. A lot of people don't know that it's here. It's kind of a hidden gem. Croft said the plan is to host different teams on the field, which also serves as the venue for the college's lacrosse and soccer teams. We're excited about having the Spartans play here. The team is great for the community, so we're hoping they draw big crowds. Roscoe, a GCC graduate, said his staff and players are pumped to be the first football team to play at the new stadium. We can't thank the community and all of our sponsors enough for their support, he added. Saturday's game, a 7 p.m. kickoff, will be live-streamed. The link to watch the game is www.youtube.com at stevewoodweedprod slash streams. Let the games begin. An in-depth look at both the baseball and softball postseason tournaments. With sectional play about to begin, there is an in-depth look at the softball and baseball tournaments. Softball, Class B1. At 13-6, Batavia has put together a solid campaign and it will enter as the number two seed and will face number seven, Livonia. We had a strong regular season and have been close to reaching our ultimate goal the past few seasons, said Batavia head coach Jim Fazio. We hope to reach the summit this season. Lila Fortes has been strong with the stick this spring, leading the team with an average of 508 with 23 runs scored and 18 RBIs, while Julia Clark has had another impressive season, hitting 448 with 12 extra base hits, 22 RBIs, and 18 runs scored. The balanced Blue Devils offense has also gotten big-time efforts from Livia Grazio playing, batting 381, 13 runs and 15 RBIs, and Ariana Elmkinder, 375, 13 runs and 5 RBIs, as they waded through a tough Monroe County and non-league schedule. Gianna Merchak and Elmkinder have shared time in the circle for Batavia. Merchak is 8-4 with a 4.85 ERA and 82 strikeouts in 76 in the third innings, while Elmkinder is 4-2 with an ERA of 3.63 and 40 strikeouts in 38 and two-thirds innings. In Class B-2, Bath Haverling is the top local seed, here as the Rams are 14-2 and will be the number two seed with an opening game at home against the winner of number seven Minders and number 10 Dansville. After a slow start, the Rams have turned it on and won 11 in a row to close the regular season. On the year, Bath Haverling has outscored its opponents 110-15. At 15-4, Will and Cohocton has earned the number three seed and the Eagles will meet number six Leroy. The Eagles have been impressive, hitting 342 as a team, led by Emily Moran with a 467, Jordan Gamble with a 455, Brooke Lander with a 455, and Nora Shubmull at 408. Molly Robbins has been solid in the circle with a 235 ERA and 142 strikeouts. Leroy has had an up and down spring and will enter at 10-8. The Watkin Knights have solid wins over the likes of Cal Mum, Pavilion, and Letchworth, while its last four losses have come by two runs or less. Among Leroy's setbacks this season have been Mercy and Arondequoit. We have been playing at a very competitive level as of late, and we'll need that to continue against a legitimate sectional contender in Wayland Cohocton, Leroy head coach Mike Battaglia said. They are a very well-coached team, are excellent in the slap-butt game, and feature a few girls with pop as well. 
The pitcher and catcher are both outstanding and only eighth graders. We have two pitchers in Lily Uberti and Dana Reschke who have been outstanding all year and are also two of our top hitters along with Sierra Burke. This team has come a long way since the beginning of the season and I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in a very tough sectional class. In class C1, Four local teams find themselves in the top seven of this class in Oakville, Alabama, number four, Alexander, five, Lettsford, six, Avon, seven. The Hornets will meet number 13, Red Creek. The Trojans will face number 12, East Rochester. The Indians will meet number 11, Canisteo, Greenwood, and the Braves will take on number 10, Pembroke. Oakville, Alabama is 10-4, and Piper Hyde has been consistently a force in the Hornets lineup, hitting 551 on the season while she also hits for power with 10 extra base hits and 18 RBIs. Caitlin Ryan led the way with a 577 average with six triples, two home runs, and 31 RBIs, while McKenna Redding is hitting 531, and Lily Davis is at 510 with 10 extra base hits, including a grand slam with 28 RBIs. We are looking forward to sectional starting after a successful regular season that ended with a Genesee Region Division I championship. Oakville, Alabama head coach Jeff Schlagenhoff said, I feel our league has incredible, was incredibly competitive this year, even more so than it normally is. That competition certainly gets you prepared for the next level. Alexander is at 12-6 and has been led at the plate all season by sophomore Emily Petrakowski, 536 and the RBI leader. Madison Boyce is hitting 519 and Olivia Delilas is 440. Who are all they are all hitting over 400 in the circle? Boyce and Petrakowski share the duties, and if the Trojans get enough out of them, they will be a tough out. Letsworth is at 12 7, but with Abby Durock in the circle, it could find itself making a run. Limited a bit by injury, Durock threw three no hitters this season and struck out 120 with an ERA of 150 in 66 innings pitched. Durock is also batting a 323. Morgan Brace has been a force at the dish again this season, hitting 493 with five, five doubles, eight triples, eight home runs, and 31 RBIs. The sophomore trio of Kaylee Emmons and twins Alexis and Grace Mitchell have also come along. Alexis Mitchell is batting 347, Grace Mitchell is batting 305, and Emmons is batting 339. Regan Bannister struggled early at the plate, but has reemerged, hitting at 351. We believe our tough regular season schedule has set us up for a strong postseason run, Letsworth head coach Chad Durack said. As a sixth seed, we feel we can compete with anybody. Also, here is last year's state semifinalist, Avon. The Braves, 10 for 7 on the season, will likely go as far as Jesse Cry and Olivia Puslowski will take them. Cry has an ERA of 159 with 247 strikeouts against 494 batters faced this season while she is also hitting 492 with 32 runs scored and 18 RBIs. Kozlowski is batting 474 with 26 RBIs and 21 runs scored. We have faced a great deal of teams this season and have grown quite a bit as a team, Avon head coach Jill Terry said. We have just recently started playing our best quality softball, and we hope to continue that through sectionals. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the Friday May 19th and Saturday, May 20th issues of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Andrea Walton. Thank you for listening.